0: do something without reading a scripture text. Initially, we're going to read quite a few scriptures in a little bit, just here and there. Um, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and stand up one last time with me, because even though I'm not going to read the text right now, we are going to read the Word here in just a little while. If you're new to our church family, we follow an ancient pattern of the, of the children of Israel in the days of Ezra the priest. The Bible says that he stood upon a pulpit, and when he opened the scriptures, all the people stood. And we follow that pattern just, we don't have to, the Bible doesn't command us to do so, but we just put a value on the Word of God, Amen. reading it and teaching it and exhorting it. And, and I appreciate so much today, I want you to know that as I get ready to minister, this is probably the first time in 30-something years of preaching and twenty almost 25 years of pastoring now that I have preached with a message that's directed towards forgiveness. Now, that would seem odd that someone in this position, but to be honest, as, so, as I was asked by someone in our church family a few months ago to consider doing this, I began to think about it. And oftentimes when people minister on forgiveness, they minister because they, they experienced a personal trauma at some point in time in their life. And they lived through a situation that warranted or even demanded that they learn or live to forgive. I, I haven't had a lot of trauma in my life, and so I can't, I can't stand here in great experience. But I also say this, I don't believe that I have to. It's not based upon my theology or my personal experience. It's based upon the, the, the Word of God. And and we're going to go to the Word of God, and we're going to ask the Lord to help us here today. And I really believe God has brought you here today for such a time as this. I believe this Word has great potential to minister to people in a very special way. So would you you join with me in, in prayer, and let's ask the Lord to just hover over this Word. Father, I love you, and I'm grateful to have this opportunity. And I pray, Lord, that, God, you would quicken things in our ears today. Our hearts would be receptive to the Word of God. We would be ready to receive it, Father. Let nothing distract us. Nothing. Not what's happened previously or what will happen later. But give us a seal a moment, a pause and reflect upon what you've said to us, Lord. In Jesus' name, and all of God's people said amen. So here's my title. You can put that on the screen if you would. If Are you in the place of God? That's a question. You're going to understand more about that, here in a few, uh, towards the end of the sermon. And I borrowed the latter phrase from an article that I'm going to share just a couple of uh, tidbits from here in just a little while. But are you in the place of God? It's a question mark. And your journey to forgiveness? You know, understanding forgiveness is something that I think would be necessary for each one of us because. At some point in time in your life, you're going to be offended. Hopefully, not as traumatic as some have. Um, and, and it's a it's a it's a principle in the kingdom that that we need to challenge ourselves to say, "God, I want to learn to forgive." I don't even know if I should say, "As you forgave," that's the highest and the gracious level of forgiveness. But certainly, that should be our our desire. You know, as I began to study this out, I began to look a little bit first into uh, medical science just a little bit. I started there, oddly enough, rather than going right to the scriptures. And uh, so I want to share with you a couple of things along the way. There's, a, there's especially one article here in just a little bit because medical science has, has begun. you know, it's a st- uh, this study of um, psychology re- and especially the psychology related to forgiveness has grown over the years and uh, they've grown in their understanding of the results of not forgiving or the results of what happens when you forgive. So first I want to just define, this is what psychologists generally define forgiveness as. As a conscious, deliberate decision to release feelings of resentment or vengeance towards a person or group who has harmed you. Regardless, listen to this, of whether they actually deserve your forgiveness. And I think that's actually... Pretty accurate in the sense of even in the context of a of a biblical context. But I'll address one particular difference of it here in just a moment. But over the latter few years, a lot of a lot of studies have been conducted that have produced some results that that encourage people to, 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 to learn to forgive, to put themselves in an environment where they can begin to foster forgiveness. So one particular study began uh, it looked at this listen to this it was forgiveness was found to be associated with a reduction in negative emotions. several studies, one of which I'll notice real quickly this was in men oddly enough listen to this men that were called post abortion men so when the 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 male the husband or the partner uh, when when the spouse or the girlfriend chose to abort the baby against the, the wishes of the male, um, it's found that when they learn to forgive, it reduced anxiety or anger and grief. It goes farther to, that says, other studies, that anxiety and depression decreased in incest survivors when taking part in... Now, remember, this is not in the biblical context. This is in the, in the medical field. But when they learned to participate in a forgiveness intervention... Uh, a study with substance-dependent patients revealed that forgiveness therapy led to decreases in anger, anxiety, and depression. And emotionally abused women experienced greater improvement in their depression, their, their anxiety, and their post-traumatic stress symptoms in, the, in forgiveness therapy. So, so medical science over the latter few years has especially begun to learn of how the, the human life can be improved when we learn to forgive, but not only in the psychological or the emotional aspect of it, but physically. They've definitely been learning about how that, that physically. So studies, and this is from John Hopkins University, it's, it's, the studies have be found that the act of forgiving can reap huge rewards for your health. It can lower the risk of heart attack. It can improve cholesterol levels and sleep. It can reduce pain and blood pressure and levels of anxiety and depression and stress. And it can increase in the forgiveness health connection as you age. In essence, if you age and you have a forgiving heart, then you'll have better health. Come on, that's a good thing to say, amen. And so there's an enormous physical burden, it says here. Karen Schwartz is the director of the mood disorders uh, at John Hopkins Hospital. There is an enormous physical burden to being hurt and disappointed. Chronic anger puts you into a fight or flight mode which results in numerous changes in heart attack, blood pressure, and the immune response. Those changes then increase the risk of depression, heart disease, and diabetes among other conditions. Forgiveness, however, calms stress levels and can lead to improved health. We need to learn to forgive even beyond the spiritual ramifications. Just to have improved health Here. Uh, on this planet amen somebody so then what about biblically for a moment I want to establish so that was just again just a little just a little excerpt obviously you can spend a lifetime google searching about the you know the medical studies as is related to forgiveness but but what about biblically so that's that's kind of where I I I hope that I I flourish a little bit more in and so I began to study this out and I'm going to begin to share some scriptures with you so if you'll be patient with me for a little while for a few minutes of this message I'm going to bring you through a, a narrative here and we're going to just kind of look at forgiveness for a moment of time so when you really first go to the word of god and you begin to study about forgiveness forgiveness doesn't necessarily begin in a what like an interpersonal relationship like person to person forgiveness biblically begins in the relationship to god it's vertical before it's horizontal come on somebody so this the children of israel we've been talking about them already today, psalm 25 and 18 we're gonna put this verse up here it says, "Look upon mine affliction and my pain, and forgive all my sins." And so, in, in uh, ancient Israel, throughout both the Torah, the Psalms, and the Prophets, was an expectation that the children of Israel should should petition God for forgiveness of sin. But when I began to study a little bit deeper about forgiveness as it relates to persons, you know, like uh, in the context of our neighbor or beyond, actually, oddly enough, in the Old Covenant, you. I only really found one passage of Scripture in the Torah that is exhorting the children of Israel to forgive. And it's not spoken directly. It's actually only implied. So I'm going I'm to build something because the reason why I'm going to build this in the Old Testament first, you're go, it's going to help you understand of how radical some teachings were a little bit later. So in Leviticus 19, verses 17 and 18, the writer says, Thou shalt not hate thy brother. So notice that term, thy brother, in thy heart. Thou shalt in any wise rebuke thy neighbor, if you have to rebuke him, but not suffer sin upon him. Verse 18. I think we have verse 18. But if we don't, that's okay. It just simply says uh, about not bearing grudge against our neighbor. It doesn't actually say forgiveness. So as I, read, as I meditated upon that, I said we can conclude That forgiveness is implied in this because if that's my neighbor, I'm I'm to not avenge myself. I'm not to bear grudge against him. So if I don't bear grudge against him, then in essence, I must forgive him, correct? So now remember, keep this in its context. It's very important. This is the children of Israel. Under the Mosaic law, God is instructing the Israelites of how to live and function in their civil society. That's my neighbor. But what about my enemy? What about when it's somebody that's not somebody that I'm kind of bound to fellowship with? So it, I'm going to go back to Psalm 25 for a moment. Not verse 18 this time, but verse number 19, if I can. And turn that, if we will, to verse number 19. Verse number 19 then says, consider mine enemies. So in the context here, in verse 18, the psalmist David is saying, God, forgive my sin. But then he said, consider mine enemies. He doesn't elaborate right here what's he wanting god to consider now on the surface you would think well david the sweet psalmist of israel is wanting god to be merciful to his enemies but he is not so let's go to psalm 109 now there's it's a long psalm and i'm not going to read it all but i want you to just get the gist david begins to pray hold not thy peace o god of my praise let's go a little farther for the mouth of the wicked and the mouth of the deceitful are open against me, and they have spoken against me with a lying tongue. So he's kind of reeling his, his, his frustration. They've compassed me about with words of hatred, and they have fought against me without a cause. Verse 4, we're going on down. For my love, they are my adversaries. But then David commits himself to God. I commit myself unto prayer. But I want you to go on down. We're going to see further. We're going to have to read this quickly. And they have rewarded me evil for good and hatred for my love. Verse number 6 set thou a wicked man over him and let Satan stand at his right hand. Obviously, David hadn't read the part of the scriptures about forgiving as of yet. When he shall be judged, let him be condemned and let his prayer become sin. Let his days be few and let another take his office. Let his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. Let his children be continued. That's not a good place to say amen right there. Now, you got to be careful on that. Let his children be continually vagabonds and beg. Let them seek their bread also out of their desolate places. Look at that. Let the extortioner catch all that he hath, and let the stranger spoil his labor. I'm going to stop right there. I could go on. I think you're getting the gist of it real quickly. So here David. David is functioning under the Mosaic law, and the Mosaic law tells him with his brother that he's not to grudge his brother. But this, he doesn't consider these his brother. He considers them his adversary. And so David then is praying because they have rewarded him evil for his goodness. David is praying the judgment of God upon them. When he said, consider my enemies, he's not saying God bless them and make them the head and not the tail. God is, he's, he is praying. So now why is that important for you to see for just a moment? Because in a moment here, I'm going to show you the teachings of the son of David and how radical his doctrine was. Because when Jesus comes along several hundred years later, and he's called the son of David, he sets Israel on edge. Because Israel is functioning under the Mosaic law, and they're according to the Psalms, and they want to forgive their neighbor, but they don't necessarily want to forgive their enemy. And they are occupied by Roman occupation. We know that. You've heard us talk about that many times. And so in the, one of Jesus' very first sermons, called the Sermon on the Mount, we understand in the, in the context of a Jewish audience, listen to the, re, and, and try to feel the reverberations of this. If, if in the heart of the Jewish audience, they remember what David's prayer, David's prayer is a, against the, the adversary, against the enemy, that God would reward them with, uh, God would punish them. And look what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, if we will. It says, and, and he says, you have heard that it has been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. And I wonder who said that. You know who said it. David did. Let's go a little bit farther. Verse 44. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, and do good to them that hate you and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Paul's right there. Now, he does it in this particular passage tell you to forgive your enemies, but you can't, listen, you can't bless those and do good to those who hate you and pray for them unless you forgive them, right? As a matter of fact, the next verse, that's going to be the last one of that, uh, that context, lori that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. Because, again, he makes his son to rise on the, on the just and the unjust. So in the same sermon, we go a little bit farther into what's known, and it's the most fam- one of the most famous passages in all the Word of God, and that is the Lord's Prayer. And we know that prayer, many of us by heart, right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Come on, forgive us of our debts or trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Correct? Jesus then expounded upon that two verses later, the 14th and the 15th verse. For if you forgive men their trespasses. This is conditional. That means that Jesus' teaching is so radical, the Jewish people who were taught to pray the Psalms, and prayed for God to ask his forgiveness, but they were also taught to pray the way that David prayed, and they prayed God's judgment on their adversaries. Now Jesus is telling them it's not enough. You don't just bless your neighbor and hate your enemy. Jesus is saying, ta- come on now, it's awful quiet in here. Jesus is saying, now listen, your prayer of repentance for your sins to be forgiven can be conditional Upon your willingness to forgive others. Read the 15th verse. If you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Hmm. That's a powerful word, isn't it? That's a challenging word for us today. The doctrine of forgiveness. We're starting with the doctrine. We're going to read some practical application here in a few moments. Jesus teaches forgiveness many times. And actually, to be honest, if you factor in the Old Covenant and then the Gospels and the Epistles, Jesus teaches forgiveness more than anyone else. No one teaches it more than he does. Did you know that even the prayer, how many of you believe in the prayer of faith? The prayer of faith that saves the sick. The prayer of faith that speaks to the mountain. Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. Do not doubt in your heart, but believe that the words that you say shall come to pass and you shall have whatsoever you, are y'all with me today? That's a prayer of faith. But look what Jesus added. Go down to the 26th verse, if you're or the 25th and the 26th verse of that one real quickly. In that context of praying the prayer of faith, he said, and when you stand praying, forgive. So, so what that means is you can be petitioning God for something great and mighty that's akin to his blessing, that's united to his blessing. There's a promise in the word, and you're trusting God for God to do something mighty in your life. But if you're not forgiving, then maybe that's the reason why the breakthrough hasn't happened and you haven't got the petition that you've longed for because you've been unwilling to let go of the trespass that someone committed against you. If you have ought against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive your trespasses. Verse 26, we will read that one. But if you do not forgive, Jesus again makes your forgiveness conditional to your willingness to forgive others. This is a very heavy subject, church family. It's a subject that we need to challenge ourselves, right? I want to be children of the Father, don't you? I want to be pleasing to Him. And if that means that I need to re-examine my heart to make sure I'm not harboring feelings or emotions of resentment or anger related to trauma or the pain of the past, then I need to be willing to do so. Did you know Jesus also taught us how often we should forgive our brother? Matthew chapter now this is a long parable we're not going to read it we're only going to read three verses he gives us a teaching then he puts a parable sandwich in between it says then Peter came to him always Simon isn't it <laughs> Simon wants to know because Simon wants to ask because when that brother of his crosses over that that ma- that marginal line he's about ready to take him out are y'all out there today so, so he's asking because he wants to know if somebody's trespassing against me, Lord, and you said because part of this is tied to to the Talmud, because in the Talmud there was a certain number that the Jewish scribes or the Jewish, uh, you know, what's the right word? The not the scribes, but the, the Jewish seers and such like that, that they they had taught people that you forgave, but then after a certain one, then you didn't have to forgive. So Peter's kind of coming to him because he said, "Lord," he said, "My brother sinned against me." He said, "How often do I forgive him? Seven times. Is that enough?" It's seven times, and look what Jesus answered. Jesus said, I say not unto you seven, but until 70 times seven. And many believe in that that's 490 in a single day, that if my brother comes back to me and says, I repent, then I'm to extend forgiveness towards him. Look at the last verse here in this context, which is verse number 35. So again, likewise. So Jesus once again makes our forgiveness of our transgressions conditional upon our willingness to forgive our brother of their trespasses it behooves us to open our hearts up to a divine work of his holy spirit but you know what i love about jesus jesus didn't just teach us forgiveness he demonstrated it in the greatest example of all stripped naked nailed to a cross Falsely accused, beaten, lacerated, spit upon, suspended between two thieves or two murderers. And there, look at this. This is how so so remember how David prayed? Smite mine enemies, Lord. And now look at the son of David. Father, forgive them. He didn't just teach you to forgive. He didn't just instruct you to forgive, he demonstrated it from a place of wounding and brokenness to the very point of his dying breath for the Father to forgive those who are wounding him. You know, in the New Testament epistles, I'm almost finished with the doctrine of forgiveness, but I got to take you then from the teachings of Jesus to the teachings of the apostles. And once again, it's not as as, uh, prevalent teaching-wise in the epistles as one would think. So the Apostle Paul mentions two verses in two separate epistles and a couple other verses that we're going to mention in another epistle. But Ephesians 4 and 32, and I quoted part of this a moment ago in the dedication. And here's the words as it relates to you and I, friend to friend, brother to brother. I believe this works in marriage. (laughs) Lord Jesus, forgive them, for they know not how to say amen at well-appointed times. And be ye kind one to another. How many know marriage can survive a long time when you learn to be kind to each other, when you learn to be tenderhearted? It's not just in marriage. This is in brother-to-brother church interaction with people, forgiving one another. Don't forget this last part. Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Paul wants that to be in your memory. He says it again in the book of Colossians. We'll read that, chapter 3, verse 13. Forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. So Paul only really mentions it a couple of times, but it's very heavy. It's it's tied to Christ's forgiveness for us. And then he mentions it again, and this one maybe has greater weight to it that we have to look at. I won't look at it today in fullest depth. But in 2 Corinthians, Paul's tying something to forgiveness. So he's kind of speaking, and this was kind of within the church, and he's talking about forgiving anything. He said, if you forgive, I forgive. He said, if I forgave anything to whom I forgave it for your sakes, forgave I it in the person of Christ. So Paul is reflecting upon the church's willingness to forgive a brother who has sinned against their church family. That's what that text is. I won't go into the depth of it, but look what he almost warns us with. The next verse. If we fail to forgive, it seems as if Satan can get an advantage over us if we fail to forgive. So perhaps even, I didn't take you into the parable of Jesus in that last, uh, when I told you that Jesus taught about the seven times. That was a parable that Jesus talked about when someone doesn't forgive, they're given to the tormentors. Maybe Paul is thinking of this when he's writing, because if you fail to forgive, and Satan gets an advantage over you. He's a tormentor, right? He gets a stronghold in your life. And so, so, so we see this in the Word of God that perhaps the, this doctrine of forgiveness is something that we need to look at and pray over and ask God to work this in our hearts and minds. So I have kind of went out of order on purpose. So I've given you, again, the definition of forgiveness by a psychologist. I've given you the doctrine of forgiveness according to the Scriptures, but I haven't really defined it. For you, according to the Word of God. So, to, sometimes, let me just go help you with this if I can. When you're trying to define something according to Scripture, you go to the root word in, in the language that it was originally written, whether it be Hebrew or Greek, and you look at it and then you see how it was used in other places in the Scripture, and that helps you kind of develop the definition of it. So, forgive in Hebrew is listen to this it's to lift or to burn to take away, or to carry. So listen, forgiven Greek is this, which is what the New Testament is written in. It's to leave, or to let, or to send forth, or to put away. So in essence, if you say, well, what does it mean? It means that you've got to let it go. You've got to send it away. So we're going to go back to that original de- the definition by the psychologist. The psychologist said that it is a conscious, deliberate decision. And I say, yes, that's, that you've got to release feelings of resentment or vengeance toward a person or group who's harmed you. But for the believer, it is a decision, but it's even more than that. It's not just a decision, it's a commandment. Right? We're commanded by Christ that if we're His and we want the Father to forgive us, then we must release others of their trespasses. Now with that in mind, though, I want to remind you of what can happen when we fail to forgive. When we fail to forgive, we can become bitter. you can develop hatred. You, vengeance: you can act and, re, and react. You can, become a, you can become a person of wrath. You can have health issues. You'll have regret. you'll go through your life with regret, that you will give the devil a stronghold in your life. Did you know that some people that self-medicate on drugs or alcohol, alcohol are doing so because of their unwillingness to forgive? Fear and distrust, you'll live a life of fear and distrust. You can live a life in bondage, and what happens is you become twice the victim. Twice the victim. Now, here's something that I put down in my notes that I'm gonna be honest with you. I can define for you forgiveness, and I can give you the biblical doctrine of forgiveness, but I can't answer every question as it relates to forgiveness. There are many challenges to it, even within the kingdom, I'm going to say it's fair to ask questions. It's fair to ask questions. What about our, because the Bible doesn't always answer these questions, and we have to pray and seek the Lord. What about our response to the person that we know needs forgiveness, but they don't ask us for it? They've committed a crime against us or a trespass against us or someone we love, but they're not, like Peter's at question to Jesus, if my brother comes to me, what about when your brother doesn't come to you? That's a fair question. What, what if, I forgi- uh, if I forgive somebody, am I expected to give that person space in my life? Or am I supposed to live life like this with them? That's a fair question as well. I think those and other questions. I've, I, this is something that I've learned, that trauma can be very deep as a result of trespass. Trespass, when someone sinned against you. And it's not always as easy as reading a doctrine off of the page. Scripture doesn't address directly... Your personal response to abuse, neglect, abandonment, divorce, infidelity. So are we to conclude then that the general teaching of forgiveness must apply? I have a tendency to say yes, but that doesn't mean that it's not easily worked out. Sometimes it's difficult to work those things out. And we need the help of God. Come on, somebody. But at the same time... I want to make sure that I'm not manipulating Scripture, right, for my sake, and for the disadvantagement of others, and for my advantagement. I want to make sure that I have a clear conscience before God, right? So, I, when, when we see that passage of Scripture where it says, "You got to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling," I think that can be applied to this area of forgiveness because not everybody's situation is the same. I'll tell you why because it's one thing. If you say I need to forgive somebody because I've got resentment because they got promoted and I didn't. It's another thing when you were sexually abused. That's that's a bit that's a lot different. Quite a bit different, church family. So in my studies here, I found an article that I want to mention, told a little bit of a story. Are y'all with me today? I feel Jesus in this room, don't you? Because He's a forgiver. And He wants His people free and He wants you free. And I don't know who I'm preaching to do, I don't know everybody's testimony. I don't know the things, but, I, but I'll tell you what. I really felt in my heart God wanted me to minister and to minister the way I'm ministering to you. So I, I was, as I was studying, I came across a, a brief article by a psychologist named Nick Wagnall. And he told about how that some, he's, so he really tries to help people um, experience genuine forgiveness. But now as I share just a few of uh, just tidbits, I told you I was going to share tidbits in a moment. I want you to know so he's not doing this from a religious conviction. He's not, he's not doing this. So, but, but he gives an example of what helped form some of these principles that he's going to share. They're very quick. We're going to go over them very fast. And you're not going to count them against my time. <laughs> so listen, very he said this. He, he said, we're going to call this lady Mary for a moment. Mary was the childhood victim of some of the worst abuse I've ever heard of. She was chronically beaten by her alcoholic father. She had to be admitted to the hospital several times as a result. She was molested multiple times by another close family member. And frequently, she was manipulated emotionally by her mother in order to hide her father's abuse and keep the family safe. And so he writes, as Mary recounted her horrific childhood, I was struck by the obvious fact that this woman in her mid-70s now had been living with this pain for a lifetime. And she goes on to explain that as bad as the actual abuse was and all the effects it had on her growing up, it was her inability to let go that was now bothering her the most. So from this and many other sessions he developed what he called just quickly seven lessons on genuine forgiveness i'm going to just throw these bullet points out real quickly remember now they're not written from a bit but i, but I want to consider from i want to consider what the world says and then i'm going to take you to what the word says come on now amen but i want to say this as i share these with you i don't think some of them are far off i think some of them that we can learn from today number one forgiveness does not mean forgetting Right, you know, and we're going to get it to close the message off. We're going to get to a biblical moment when someone thought they forgot, but it's hard to forget. It's hard to forget because sometimes your life overlaps. And so just when you forgive somebody doesn't mean that you have a memory uh, dump or you become memory blank in that particular area. And so you can't control it, right? You can't control your memories, but you can control your attention. You don't have to think on those things, right? And that's why we as believers have to learn how to think and take control of our thoughts. Right as the adage says, the old adage says the battleground's in the mind. Oftentimes, right. Number two, forgiveness and anger do not mix well. So you have to decide. You have to. T- that's why in the context of forgiveness, Paul said, "Don't give place unto wrath." Right in Ephesians chapter number four. So you can't really be forgiving somebody and always walk around with anger and resentment in your heart either. One of the emotions is going to rule over the other, and I believe it's up to you to decide. Are you going to allow anger and resentment to lead into bitterness and to where actually sometimes maybe into malicious response? Are you going to choose to forgive? Just because your anger is justified doesn't mean it's helpful. You know what I've found in the carnal side? This isn't in my notes, but just, you know, what, anger feels good to the flesh at times. Come on, if I'm hungry and I, and I and I eat something that it just feels good to. me, I'm telling you, anger and resentment feels good to my appetite, my carnal appetite. And and when I'm angry, I want it, it wants to be fed. It's ravenous. It wants to be fed. But I'm telling you, the end thereof is death, right? And so you got to you can't allow those emotions to rule your heart. You can validate your anger, but you don't feed it. Number three, he writes, forgiveness does not mean endorsement. What does that mean? It means that yes, you have you might need to accept what's taken place, but you, that doesn't mean you're endorsing or it's justification. You're not, justifi- you're not justifying what took place. You can accept an offense has happened against you without excusing it. I think that's very important. Forgiveness is not a one-time decision. Did I, did I skip one? Did I did I skip one? No, I did. Let me go back to that. Thank you, Laura. You're ahead of me. That's what happens when it prints out on two-sided paper. I get a little confused here. For as forgiveness does not require reconciliation. Now, this one's a tough one because sometimes he, he even writes, he said, this one's a hard one, especially for people with religious convictions, because sometimes they're always hoping for reconciliation and they often feel like that their forgiveness is dependent upon whether they reconcile to the individual. So I do think, though, that there is a measure of truth in this because sometimes that that relationship is not going to be reconciled. And that partner may leave or that spouse may leave. And sometimes in order to forgive, you've got to let it go and let them go. I'm going to say that one more time. Sometimes you've got to let it go and let them go at times. But what you can't do is then let them go while you harbor bitterness and forgiveness. So forgiveness does not always require reconciliation. So we've got to be reminded of that as well hope for reconciliation if you wish but he writes don't expect it number five forgiveness is not a one-time decision that once it becomes a part of you you have to learn to live in a forgiving state of existence right now that doesn't mean that you don't set up boundaries that doesn't mean that you allow people to constantly abuse you Right, but that means that you just learn to live in forgiveness. Forgiveness is not a decision, it's an attitude, it's a habit of mind. And I love this one. I thought this one was really good. Forgiveness is not a feeling, right? It's more than a feeling, right? It's a choice that you have made, and it's a commitment to that, and it's not just a feeling because you don't always feel like forgiving somebody. If you live your life in the kingdom based upon forgiveness or feeling, I'm telling you, you're destined for some frustrating days, right? We walk by faith not by feeling. Number seven, your road to forgiveness is your own. What does that mean? That means that everybody's situation is a little bit different, and you have to embrace the emotional distinctiveness of your road to forgiveness, and you have to ask God again as a believer for God to work in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. So notice this real quickly. I thought that those were good lessons on forgiveness, right, by, by psychologist Nick Wagnall. But one thing that was obvious to me as I read that six-page article was seven lessons on forgiveness that, uh, that he's learned and he's accumulated. He gave us just tidbits of years of study and years of counseling and mentoring and helping Mary. That was not her name, but that was what he called her. By the, by, after about two years of therapy, how she did learn to forgive and how her life was improved. But I did notice this. There was no mention of God. There was no mention of the Word of God or of faith. And so here's the, what I thought was, you know what, God, I said, th- those are good things, but I'll tell you what, I'm going to give some, some, some tidbits too. So this is my seven-point sermon for you today. Don't count that previous seven. That doesn't count. These are my seven, seven lessons to forgive. These are thoughts from the preacher real quickly. Number one, listen, to, wor- to really journey towards forgiveness, you have to understand your own need for forgiveness. Now, you say, Pastor Brown, are you saying to me that if somebody trespassed against me, that I'm the one that needs to repent? No, I'm not saying it's tied to that trespass against you. I'm telling you, we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every one of us, there is not one righteous one among us. And let me tell you, you will learn to forgive more readily and more biblically when you understand your own trespass against the Father. And when you come to the Father according to Psalm 25 and 18 and ask the Lord according to His mercy to forgive you of all your sins and you recognize that you can't forgive yourself and you can't walk around and say, I just forgave myself. No, I'm standing complete in His forgiveness. Then I truly be be able to forgive from, from the Father's heart because my heart has joined to His heart. He forgave. He forgave me. And therefore I strive to forgive others. Remember what Paul said in his teaching? He said, As you forgive, he said, It's even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. How many don't you never let go of that? You never, you never try to forgive somebody without being aware of your need and God's grace to forgive you. Because if you do, then you're doing it in your own strength rather than in his. And we're spiritual people today, amen? Number two, this one's hard for you. You are not the judge. We want to be. It feels good to be, right? But let me just go ahead and uh, establish this. You're not the judge. Look what Jesus said. Let's go back to what Jesus said in Luke 6 and 37. He said, judge not, condemn not, and forgive. Man, I'm preaching way better than y'all shouting. Let me go ahead and tell you one more time. You're not the judge. You want to learn to live in forgiveness, then you choose, according to the word of God, to not judge and to not condemn, but to forgive as Christ has forgiven you. This is difficult. It's difficult at times to pass that judgment to God. (laughs) You can't be as David of old. Lord, smite them from heaven, right? That's That's not how we're tempered. That's not our dispensation. The dispensation of grace in which we live in today. Now, in mine and Jason's conversation with this a little bit, we both were reminded of a particular moment in the Apostle Paul's life when the Apostle Paul was remembering a man in his epistle, it's written epistle, called Alexander the coppersmith, who was an idol maker, and the, idol, the, 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 you know, the market of idols began to suffer wherever Paul's ministry went. Because people started turning to the one true God, and they stopped buying the idols. So many times these coppersmiths or silversmiths, whatever they were, they started bringing you know, wrath and evil against the, the, these preachers. And so Paul, Paul doesn't pray quite like right David prays, but he doesn't pray quite like Jesus prays either. And he says, may the Lord reward Alexander according to his work. And so, But, but in doing so, what we can say, at least he did this. He passed it and left it in the hands of God. You're not the judge; He's the judge. Come on, somebody, Amen. I'm gonna skip that passage of Romans. We're gonna go to number three. This is my observations as your pastor. Family trauma seems to be more damaging. Family trespass. It's one. It seems one thing to forgive somebody outside the family for whatever reason. It seems easier to forgive someone who has no natural, you know, attachment. They're not in the family. They're not a cousin. They're not a son. They're not a father. They're not a, a child. They're not anything. For whatever reason, it just seems to be easier because it seems like trespass in the family seems to cut deeper. Are you all out there today? I mean, this is, I mean, I'm not a psychologist in any capacity, and, but I'm just trying to say, I'm just observing this, of my, my 20 plus years of pastoring and seeing people that I know are hurt and wounded in the family. It seems like it just seems to be more damaging. And if it's more damaging in the family, look at this, number four, then you need a special work of grace. You need a, if, if God could put a special anointing on Paul so that handkerchiefs were taken off of his body and demons were were, were cast out of people with him not even being there, you need a special work of the grace of God in order for you to forgive, right? How many of you believe that today? I believe that the God of all grace can supply the grace that you need to be able to forgive those who have hurt you and wounded you, even or even especially those That are in the family. There are three more, and then I'm closing. And I think, if any, this is probably the tipping point, this fifth one. This is probably where it has to happen. This is the practicality of it. You say, Pastor, I can read the doctrine of forgiveness, I can go to a therapist, I can um, get some people take medication to help them deal with their emotional trauma. All those things, I can do a lot of things. Where is it really going to find its outlet? How am I going to really make this a part of my life? Put this scripture up here again, Mark eleven twenty five, 25. And when you stand, pray. Let me tell you, you know where you learn to forgive? In prayer. Let me, let me tell you, not on Facebook, not on complaining about situations or a spouse or uh, hurt or abuse or, ne- or negligence, and even not in a, even not in a counselor's room. I'll tell you, you'll find the the power to begin to forgive people when you begin to profess it to the Lord in prayer. When you begin to say, God, let me just go ahead and show. Just as I talked for a moment ago with the baby dedication about how to bless, I'll tell you how to confess. You confess to the Father this way, Father, I cannot forgive this person of myself. I cannot do it. My carnal appetite, my carnal mind, the pain and the trauma is too deep. But God, I'm going to trust that you're the God of all grace. I'm going to trust that you give me the ability, Lord, that by the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit who dwells inside of me, Lord, I can now release this person in Jesus' name. And then you begin and you speak out that person's name unto the Father in prayer. And you say, God, I let them go. I let that go. I let that resentment go. I let that abuse go. I let that trauma go. God, I declare it in Jesus' name. He that the Son is set free is free indeed. And I'm not going to walk in the shadow of that trauma all the days of my life. But in prayer, God, if I can work it out in prayer, I can practice it in everyday life. But if you fail, listen, if you fail to stand praying and forgive, you'll never be able to do it when you're confronted by that pain or that person again. It has to happen through the means of prayer and you say pastor brown how often do i do it maybe the next time you come to prayer jesus said when you pray say father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we how often do you need to pray that as often as you can come on somebody You pray, God, the strength. Give me the strength to forgive those who have trespassed against me. Come on, now. I know that that the psychologist did not include when you stand praying, but Jesus did. The shepherd and bishop of your soul. He said, if you really want to overcome unforgiveness, then you forgive in prayer. Forgive in prayer. Pray. How about this one? How about praying for the redemption of the trespasser? How about praying for their eternal soul? And you want to know when you're really free? <laughs> this is a tough one. When you can pray for God to bless the person. When you can pray that, Satan will have no stronghold over you. Come on, somebody. When you can say, Lord, not only do I pray, Father, but I'm praying that you're blessing them. If that means blessing them all the way to repentance, then whatever it takes, God, but just bless them. In the name of Jesus, you said your son would rise on the just and the unjust, and rain would fall on the just and the unjust God. They're still unjust in their transgression against me, but God, I'm going to pray for your goodness to run them down in Jesus' name. And when you can do that, I'm telling you, that bitterness and that resentment, it will have no stronghold in your life. And number six today, what's happening inside of you is you're learning to live in the freedom. You're learning to live in the freedom that you have in Christ Jesus. Because you're forgiven of your trespasses and you're walking in His shadow and by His grace and the power of the Holy Spirit and you're not going to be brought in bondage again. I don't want to become the victim twice, right? The enemy may have victimized you one time but if you become somebody who fails to forgive he's going to victimize you the second time. But when you learn to let go, let go in Jesus' name then you can live in the freedom that Christ gives. And lastly today in this context Number seven, I believe this. Our psychologist, Nick Wagnall, he might, but he didn't mention it. I believe the Word gives strength. I believe that if I'm struggling to forgive, I go to the Word. If I've got resentment in my heart or bitterness, I go to the Word. I challenge it in the Word, and I look to God, and I say, God, help me in Jesus' name. I read over the Word. I pray over the Word. And I identify with the Word. And through the Word of God, I learn to forgive, even the most of painful of situations. No one knows all of your story. None of us know everybody's story. We don't know the things that have happened to you, but how many know God does? As I close today, I'm going to close with just a brief narrative of a story that's very familiar to those that are in the church I have one last passage of scripture that we're going to read in a few moments. If I, once I mention his name, those of you that's been around the church all your life, you immediately, you remember his story. He's famous in scripture. Before the Mosaic law, the Torah, before the prophets or the Psalms, God was working by grace in the heart of a young man that suffered trauma in his family. He was raised in a large family. And he was the next to the last, not child, but the next to the last son of a family that was a blended family of two wives and multiple handmaids. And there were 12 brothers. He was the 11th one. At this particular time, his father seemed to show favoritism towards him. And once I say this, all of you are going to know this story. His father made him a coat of many colors. And it seemed to signify his favoritism, the father's favoritism for his son. Jacob being the father, the son being Joseph, the 11th of the 12 sons of Jacob or of Israel. And over a period of time, that jealousy began to morph in the lives of 10 of those brothers, not the 12th, the youngest, but the older 10 brothers to the degree that they became resentful, not only to their father, but to their Brother, resentment can grow in your heart, church family, beyond bitterness and beyond anger, but it can become malicious to it, you find yourself doing things you would not ordinarily do. And they were in the field one day keeping their father's sheep, and their father was a little bit concerned for them because they'd been gone for a long time, and they sent Joseph to check on them, and he's wearing his coat of many colors when they see him from afar. And in that moment of time, talk about Satan getting a stronghold in somebody's life. Satan got a stronghold in those men's lives. And these 10 older brothers physically and emotionally, and in one sense, even sexually abused young Joseph. Say, even sexually? Yeah, they stripped him of his clothes. They stripped him of his clothes, harassed him, and they cast him in a pit, and he sank like Jeremiah. And they were intended to bring him up later out of the pit and kill him. One of the brothers was trying to be a defense. But before they could bring him up and kill him, they saw a caravan coming down of Midianites en route to Egypt. And they cast a rope. And you can only imagine what Joseph is feeling. He's uh, he's a very emotional young man. He's probably just 16 or 17 years of age at this particular time. He's very emotional. He's probably been weeping and sorrowing down in that pit when a rope comes down to him, and he thinks this nightmare is about to be over. And he catches hold of it, and his brothers pull him up, and much to his shock and amazement, they take him quickly and drag him to the Midianite caravan and sell him as a slave. And they watch as they put fetters and chains on his hand and feet. And he is crying, and he's sobbing, and he's wounded, and he's hurt. We can't, I can't fathom that, but somebody under the sound of my voice might can. I don't know your past, but I love what this says. Listen to this. Genesis 37, verse 2 says, But the Lord was with Joseph. Let me tell you this real quickly. The Lord sees you even in your trauma. Even in your trespass, when someone has trespassed against you, God knows right where you are. If you know the story, and I'm going to preach it all today in any capacity. Eventually, eventually, when he is brought to Egypt, God was with him and kept him despite the pain and the trauma. He eventually, he eventually was purchased. He was out of slavery. He was eventually given a governmental position that he eventually rose to power. To the position of prime minister of all of Egypt, the greatest superpower at that time in all the known world. Isn't that a powerful story? And y'all know it's Joseph's story. It's in Genesis 37 all the way to Genesis 50. Almost 14 chapters are given to this narrative in the Word of God. It's so powerful. He eventually marries. He's got two sons. He's purposely naming his sons as a way to say, God is helping me to overcome my trauma. He names his first son Manasseh. Manasseh means in Hebrew, God hath made me forget. But the reality was is he hadn't quite forgotten But he's trying to suppress that memory by saying, God hath made me forget. He names his second son Ephraim. God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. And wouldn't you know it, through a process of events, God supernaturally brings those brothers and those accusers all the way from the land of Canaan to Egypt in search of grain. Joseph has an opportunity to actually vindicate himself upon his brothers if you ever, I mean, I know when Sister Sherry just wants to have a crying moment, and ladies just want to have crying moments. I've learned that after 30-something years of marriage. And so she can watch a Hallmark movie. You really want to have a crying moment, you pick up Genesis 37 through 50, and you try to identify with Joseph. And when you see the love of God in the heart of that previously young man, now a mature adult with a wife and two children, who has the opportunity if he chooses to not only show resentment and anger towards his brother, but he can actually kill them and they had failed in their attempt to kill him. But he will not miss if he chooses it. But rather, in one of the most emotional moments in all the Word of God, when his identity is made known to them, he falls on their necks and weeps tears of forgiveness to his brothers. If Joseph can survive that, you can survive your trauma. That's why it's written in the Word of God. Daryl joins me on the platform as I take you to one last ending to that story. If you know anything you raised in Sunday school or if you read the Bible yourself, you'll know that Joseph then sent for Jacob, his father, the rest of the family. Jacob, from his position of prime minister, he sustains them for many years. They're given the good land of Goshen in Egypt. There's a relationship formed with Pharaoh And God is blessing. God was providentially taking care of the people of Israel, and I tell you what. And I'm not trying to say today what happened in your life carries the same providential hand of God as it did with Joseph. I can't go quite there, but but I want to say this: in the midst of all that adversity, what the enemy can mean for evil, God can turn. God can work. God can shine light. Come on, somebody, God can. When, when medicine fails and therapy fails and psychology fails, God will not fail. And so with this, so me, after many years in Egypt, Jacob, the patriarch of the faith, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, dies. And when he dies, the brothers, those ten brothers, those ten brothers who had, had traumatized and abused their younger brother, And then experienced his forgiveness are now fearful that upon the death of their father. Maybe he's forgiven us. Maybe Joseph has forgiven us only because our father was alive. And maybe Joseph has forgiven us only because of our father. Now that he's gone, all the things that we did to him, we're going to receive the just recompense of what we've done. And this is how the story ends. And this is how my story ends today. Genesis chapter number 50, six verses of Scripture. And they sent a messenger unto Joseph. And they said, your father did command before he died, saying. And that really wasn't true. But they're trying to manipulate Joseph. So shall you say unto Joseph, forgive, I pray thee, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin. For they did it unto evil, and now we pray thee, forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of thy father. And when Joseph heard that, once again, he weeps when they spake unto him. Remember the title of my sermon? It wasn't just your journey to forgiveness. Look at verse 18 as we move farther. And his brethren went and fell down before his face, and they said, We be Thy servants. Behold, we are thy servants. Verse 19. And Joseph said, Am I in the place of God? Remember what Jesus said Judge not, and you won't be judged. Condemn not, and you won't be condemned. Forgive, and you'll be forgiven. I put a title to the message today that said, Your Journey to Forgiveness. But I prefaced it with these words, taken from the words of Joseph, am I in the place of God? We read on down, two last verses. As for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant or turned it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. And how do we know that Joseph truly forgave his brothers? Look at the 21st verse. Fear not, I will nourish you and your little ones. He comforted them, and he spoke kindly to them. I'll tell you what, when when you're persecutors, abusers, a wound cut deep through family trespass, and you have the opportunity to vindicate your pain, and you choose not, You're walking in forgiveness. You're living in forgiveness. And I'm telling you, church family, that's where God wants us. We're not in His place. Judgment belongs to the Lord. We have to learn to let it go. Come on, somebody. That's what forgiveness means let it go. Let it go. Don't be defined by the trauma of your past. You don't have to live in the shadow of it. You're free. He sets you free. I believe God can heal your hurt and your wound. And God can give you the ability to forgive in Jesus' name. Here in a moment, I prayed about this and I said, Lord, how can I, how can I have an altar with this today? This is very personal. Very, very personal. So I thought to myself, in a moment, I'm going to ask for, not now, but in a moment, I'm going to ask for heads to bow and as we do And I'm going to ask no one to look around. And I'm going to ask for those who may have been still struggling with the trauma of unforgiveness. To have the courage to raise your hand. When no one's looking around but just me and you. That's all. That will give me, as your pastor, a moment to know that I'm going to continue to pray for you. Because then... When we stand up, I'm going to ask all the church family for a brief moment to come forward. Because I don't want anybody that raised their hand to feel like, okay, if I raise my hand, he's going to call me forward. And then all eyes are going to be on me. But I want to invite the church family collectively together. And we're going to practice point number five of Pastor Brown's seven lessons on forgiveness. We're going to stand, praying, and when we pray... We're going to forgive. How many believe that's fair today? I believe that's how the Lord, the Lord. I told Sister Sherry, I said, Sister Sherry, this is outside of my wheelhouse. But I really believe God has directed this message. I believe the Lord can use this. Mary was 75 years old, sitting in a therapist room, trying to. Not to live the rest of her life in the pain that she had lived in because she didn't know how to forgive. I don't want that to be you. I believe in the power of God. Our psychologist, as helpful as his points were, he didn't factor in something. He did not factor in the power of the blood of Jesus. He didn't factor in the power of the cross of Calvary. He didn't factor in the power of the Spirit of God that dwells on the inside of you. And he did not factor in, come on somebody, the power of his word when his word gets inside your heart. You can forgive. You're not the judge. Let it go. Leave it to God. You just choose to live in freedom. Come on somebody. Our heads bowed and our eyes closed for just a moment. This is where I need you to be real serious with me today. Very, very serious. You're here today, and if this message has struck a chord, maybe that chord hurts. Maybe you've repressed some of the—listen, if, listen, if you've forgiven someone, don't dig it up for the sake of my sermon. If you've forgiven and you've walked away, don't feel pressure that, oh, i got to raise my hand and cry a tear so that Pastor Brown will feel like his message was effective. No, no, no. That would be totally opposite. If you have forgiven and God has healed your heart and you've moved on, then don't you raise your hand at all. I thank God. I'd rejoice with you. I rejoice with you. My heart was for maybe those that might be among us today. that This message might, if we can say it correctly, strike a chord inside them that says, you know what, maybe I am still dealing with something. I'm still dealing with the, the challenge of letting it go. And today, I'm going to stand praying, and as I stand praying, I'm going to forgive. Now, remember, I'm not going to isolate you in any way, but for a moment, I'll ask you to slip your hand up if that's you and say, Pastor, this is between me and you. Pray with me. I want to ask you to do so today in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, thank you. See some hands going up. Thank you. Thank you. Takes courage. Takes courage. Thank you so much. Thank you so much today. Thank Thank you. Thank you. Thank you today. Thank you today. Thank you today. Thank you. God bless you today. God, I'm praying. I'm praying for the church family. I'm praying. God, help us today. Help us in Jesus' name. I want to ask everyone to stand with me if you would. And I want to ask. I want to ask. And you say, Pastor, you said we're going to stand praying. Why do I need to walk forward? Now, remember, I want the church family. We're going to be dismissed in a few minutes, and you're going to go out and all of that. But I want to ask you to take a step. What did you tell me earlier today, Alicia, that God always expects something of you? You You've got to show forth that faith. So if we could just as a group just take a step and just slightly move forward to the altar. I just believe we're saying, God, I'm moving towards you. I'm moving towards you. You know, the writer says that if we will draw near to God, he will draw near to us. How many of you are grateful for his forgiveness today? Aren't you grateful for his forgiveness? As a matter of fact, I'm going to start right there. We're going to start right there. We're going to pray a closing prayer, and we're not going to pray long. I mean, now if you need to pray long, you pray as long as you need to pray. But as a group, as a group today, I want to just pray with us collectively. Jesus said, when you pray, when you stand praying, forgive. Before we do that, before we approach the Father for the grace to forgive, we're going to ask the Lord to forgive us of our sins. We're going to do that publicly in your own heart. Let's pray together. We're going to start right there. I just believe that's where all true forgiveness finds its root. It finds its root... In our recognition that we need forgiveness. We need God's love, His mercy, His grace. Father today, for every person, even those victimized, even those traumatized when someone trespassed against them. God, even, yes, against psychology, psychologist, we all have sinned. All of us have sinned. Father, maybe we justified resentment in our heart. Maybe we justified anger. Maybe we justified, Father God, where we, where we turned to wrath instead of letting go. Whatever it is, whatever our response to the trauma was, if we were pulled into sin, I'm not saying everyone was, but if we did, Lord, we repent before you in Jesus' name. But even if without that trauma, God, we all acknowledge, your word says, that we have all sinned, Come short of your glory. And we need your mercy, and we need your grace every day in our lives. And when I have sinned, I do ask you to forgive me, God, and to wash me clean in Jesus' name. And I stand amongst my church family today, and I'm praying with them. And you've got to work this out in your own heart. And you've got to pray this with me today. When you stand praying, forgive. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray prayer of faith and release. Help every person under the sound of my voice that had the courage to raise their hand, to say, I'm going to let it go in the name of Jesus. God, give them the strength. Give them the grace. Give them the mercy, God. Give them the ability as they press into you to not hold on to hatred, to variance. God, to other emotions father where the enemy can get a stronghold in our lives but we stand today in the awareness that you said let it go give me the grace to let it go who can pray that with me right now when you stand praying forgive god give me the grace to let it go Let it go. Let it go in the name of Jesus. Whatever your trauma, those of you that raised your hand, whatever you've dealt with in the past, whatever pain, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I want you to send it away in Jesus' name. Send it away. God sent the the scapegoat away into the wilderness. You send it away. Send it away, Lord, in Jesus' name. We send it away, God. We're not going to harbor resentment or bitterness. We're not the judge. We turn that person over to you, God. We leave them in your hands, God. We pray that you will draw them to the point of repentance if they have not repented of their sins, God. And that you would be merciful to them as you are to me, God. That's a prayer of faith. That you would be merciful, God. Even to my trespasser. Because I need your mercy in my life. Now, Father, I pray over my church family. I'm going to let you go in just a second. God, I know that it's one thing to just walk to the front of the church in the group, a group therapy of 160 people. Immediate response to the sermon. It's one thing. This is, not a, this is not an atmosphere of resentment. We don't foster it in this sanctuary, but I know they're going to walk out, and they're going to go in the real world, and the enemy's going to come in, and the adversary's going to come in, and I know that the situations are going to be created where they're going to have to choose to forgive. Or they'll allow that resentment to come right back. So if there's any faith inside me and other leaders today, we pray for every person. We pray over them, God. Give them the grace. Not just here. Not just standing forgiving at the altar. But, but, but when they leave. When they're confronted by. When the memory comes to their mind, God. Give them the grace to stand In the power of forgiveness, Lord. God, I bless them today. I bless them. I don't know, I don't know the trauma that's been created in the heart and lives of those who had the courage to raise their hand, but like Joseph, you do. You know, and you've kept them through it. And you're going to deliver them from it in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, somebody. In Jesus' mighty name. And all God's children said with me, amen and amen and amen. I can't tell you how honored I am to have been able to share this word with you. Listen, that one point was this is a journey. So you continue on in your journey. It's not just a one-day sermon, is it? Come on, it's not just a one-day sermon. It's living and it's learning to walk in forgiveness. Amen? Listen, thank you so much for being here. Love one another. If you see somebody you don't